Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tune to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And you throw a 225 in front of that number that will get you to us from anywhere inside the continental United States. That's right. We would love to hear from you if you happen to be outside of our normal calling area. Sure. Or if you are from with inside of our calling area. All right. We'd like to hear from you, too. <laughs> That's a fact. Just give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Maybe give you a little advice. There you go. And should you happen to be listening on one of our podcasts or off the internet somewhere and you still want to get a call into us, you, right. there's a few area code numbers you need and country codes you need, but you can still reach us. <laughs> That's right. When you do call us from outside of the calling area, be sure to give the producer your name and your address and where you're calling from. We'll get an Ag Coat t-shirt USPS out to you. First thing Monday morning. That's fact. I give Elizabeth something else to do. <laughs> something else to do. Watch that, girl. I call her uh, Lizarella. <laughs> <laughs> I got her moving now, that's I tell right, you. That's right, boy. We keep her working. That's right. She's doing good. Folks who just don't get a chance to call in or something occurred to you during the week, you can also get your questions asked just by going to our website. That's right. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. You can take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. Get you to our site. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You can fill out the little form there and send it in to Lewis. And within 24 hours, you'll get an answer back. And sometimes sooner, just depends on when you send it. Yeah, most of the time a lot sooner because I'm generally either at or near a computer just about 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not sleeping, I'm generally around a computer. So I check that several times during the day, and I'll get an answer right on back to you. While you're in there, pop on the detailed topics, lots of good information. Put one there this morning about emergency repairs. And we hear a lot of times where folks will call, and our business stays booked up usually a few days in advance. It's very rare to call any quality automotive shop and be able to just get an appointment the same right. day. Almost like a doctor, you just don't call and walk right on in. Generally, you have to call a little ahead and make an appointment. But a lot of times folks say, well, this is an emergency. I say, well, I know, and I am sorry, but every car here is an emergency. Exactly. Basically, anytime a person's car breaks, it's an emergency to them for sure. And it is not fair for the folks who did have appointments and you work on their car to stop and work on someone else's car because one person's emergency is really no more than another. But this article goes into how to prevent that sort of thing from happening to you. And there are things you can do to prevent emergencies. Right. And I think it's a real good article. Pop on in and read it, and I think it'll help you out and kind of point you in the right direction. It's www.agcoauto.com, and we'd appreciate it. Hey, going to our phone lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Morning. Good yes, morning. I've got a little question. I'm looking to purchase the F-250 with the 7.3-liter diesel. Okay. And I've, I've been test driving. It's a buddy of mine. Anyway, I want to know one of the first things. Everything's bone stock, but it's only got 200,000 miles, and it's the mm-hmm. O2 model. Yes, sir. I'm looking to get a better fuel mileage out of it when I do purchase it. Just this coming up week, I'm thinking about maybe a chip and some exhaust. What's your opinion on stuff like that? That nah, doesn't really do any good, Joe. All it does is shift some parameters. In other words, when Ford built it, like any other manufacturer, they're looking at the three main parameters. One is durability, two is economy, and three is power. And you can have any two of the three but you're going to suffer on the third. What Ford does is puts a pretty good mix of the three in. So you're going to have durability, you're going to have some power, and you can have some economy. Now, can you get more economy? Yes, you can, but you're going to suffer from power and you can suffer from durability. Can you get more power? Yes, but then the durability is going to suffer and so on. Really going to sacrifice a lot of things. In my opinion, it is not worth doing because the trade-offs are not worth the gains. You're not going to get a tremendous amount. I know what all these articles say, but they're trying to sell you a chip. Not only that, but you're going to also negate a lot of folks wanting to work on the vehicle for you. Most of your better shops just don't want to fool with something that's been modified. You're going to narrow down your field of folks who can work on it for you. But I wouldn't do it 
not only that, but the 7.3 was a great engine as it was. It gets pretty decent fuel mileage. The transmission behind it is probably a 4R100, and it is kind of marginal. It's up to the task of a stock engine. You start putting a chip in, the first thing you do is twist the transmission out of it. So my opinion is don't do it. Just leave the truck stock. That's a great truck. It's a very desirable truck, as you probably know, because you're probably paying way more than you thought you'd ever pay for a used truck with 200,000 miles. But those trucks bring a huge price because they are good, good trucks. But I would leave it alone. I mean, if you want to get better fuel mileage, just change your driving style. You can get far better increase in mileage just by changing the way you drive than you're going to do by anything you're going to put in there, and you're not going to damage anything. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, Joe. Thanks, man. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. That's probably one of the most overlooked things, I think. And I've written an article on that on the website, but folks will go and buy a new car to try to save four or five miles to the gallon. Right. And pay... Twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars many times, and they could get probably four to five miles to the gallon just by changing the way they drive. <laughs> oh, I'm, I see it every day. You're oh yeah, coming to work, going anytime you're on the road, just watch the people around you, the mm-hmm. way they drive. Absolutely. And I pay attention to it because I'm looking for it. That's right. It gets to a point where you say, "Man, I'm glad I'm not driving that vehicle." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would want that vehicle. Well, and even the new vehicle that you buy you're not going to achieve anywhere close to the mileage that it claims if you don't drive it better. Correct. It may get better than your older vehicle did, maybe, but it's not going to achieve any kind of good gas mileage because cars are very smart today, and they learn the way you drive. They do. So when you mash that gas pedal to the floor, it's going to say, okay, they want to make power. It's going to move the shift points up, and they're going to stay up, and it's going to raise everything up to make more power. And that's going to make it burn a lot more fuel. Sure. When you start backing off, coasting a lot, when you see the red light, go ahead and coast to the light. Don't power up to the light and slam on your brakes. You know, Not only are the brakes going to last a whole lot longer, you can get a lot better fuel mileage. The vehicle's going to last longer. The vehicle's going to last, and you're not going to rattle me. <laughs> <laughs> you're coasting. Here they come. They pass you up, get in front of you, and stop. Exactly. And just, it really makes no sense eating up a lot, a lot of fuel I mean, there's tons and tons of things you can do to significantly increase your fuel mileage. Sure. But we get a calls lots of times. We get questions on the website a lot of times. Well, what can I do with my vehicle to get better fuel mileage? Well, what can I change? Well, you, you're not going to change anything because the manufacturers are under tremendous pressure from the so, federal government and everybody else to get better mileage. They right. are doing everything they can do. And that car, almost any car built in the last 20 years, is engineered to get good gas mileage. It just has, has to, to be operated. That's right. right. And it has to be operated in the way that it can do that. That's right. You're not going to put a chip in. You're not going to put a magical air filter on it. You're not going to put one of these little swirly things in it. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. I know they promise all that, but you really understand how physics physics operates is that it requires X amount of energy to push a certain amount of weight, a certain distance at a certain speed. You can't change that. All you can do, if you look at most of the major fuel mileage increases they've got with modern cars, not many of them really came from engine modifications. Right. Most of them came from things like aerodynamics, cutting the way the drag of the car, cutting through the wind, and reducing weight. They reduced the weight of the cars significantly. Oh. And so you're hauling less weight around, you're burning less energy. You're cutting through the wind easier, you're burning less energy. But really, the internal combustion engine has not changed significantly. Not really. In the last 50 or 60 years. I mean, yeah, they got stuff. I mean, they got variable cam timing. They've got all this kind of stuff now. But all that 
probably combined doesn't account for two or three miles of a gallon. Sure. It just there's not a lot of ways that you can get a whole lot more fuel mileage. I mean, not, there are things you can do to tweak it. Obviously, if you got a bad oxygen sensor and you replace it, put a new oxygen sensor, you get better fuel mileage. If your thermostat is bad, it's going to burn more gas because it the engine's cold. It's going to double fire the injectors and all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing you're going to do to significantly change a vehicle. Right. Just the the way it was manufactured is key. It has mm-hmm. to be operating in a certain parameter so it gets capable of getting the advertised mileage. Yeah, almost every vehicle is capable of getting a lot better fuel mileage than what they get. Oh, most definitely. And it's sad that people trade off cars and do all sorts of things to try to get better mileage, but they just don't look at that one factor that they actually have the most control of it all, of all and really cost them nothing, and that's sure. themselves. And there again, you know, like you said earlier, if you buy a new car and drive it the same way, you're still not going to get the amount of gas mileage still you expect. Still are not going to get the fuel mileage you expect it to get. We hear that a lot. Man, sure. I bought this car. It was supposed to get 40 miles a gallon. I don't get but 25. Right. Well, it's probably the way you drive. Exactly. And it's a hard thing to tell people because everybody considers the way they drive as normal. Right. It's just you have to take a hard, critical look at yourself and say, I either want to get better fuel mileage or I'm willing to pay the price. I'm just the way I'm going to drive. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, either way, it worked. But <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't gripe about one if you're going to do the other. Well, that's right. And I've said it many, many, many times. I got a 2005 Buick Park Avenue that I can get up to 33 miles a gallon on the road. Just depending on how fast you drive. That's it. right. When I'm on vacation, I'm generally not in a hurry. And if the speed limit is 70, I'm probably driving 68. Right. And I'm coasting a lot. I'm not pumping the pedal. I'm not speeding up to pass. I'm anticipating what's on the road ahead of me. And it's almost like a game with me to see how much mileage I can get. And just by changing the way I drive, I can also go out and really start pushing the car and drop that down to probably 25. Sure. So 33, 25, eight miles to the gallon. Just by picking up five miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Just driving on the interstate oh, speed. Five can, miles an hour oh, can drop I, you that much. I can go out there and put it on 75 miles an hour, start passing everybody, slamming on my brakes, running up behind. Yeah, I can easily drop it down eight miles a gallon. Yeah, and you get there, what, two minutes faster? Well, if I get there at all. <laughs> <laughs> so get so a far, so good. Yeah. I get a wreck or a cop will stop me and slam me in the pokey and I ain't going to get just, there at all. So. There you go. Yeah, that's one of those things that folks just don't really, I think, get the full benefit of. Sure. And we get it all the time. People will bring cars in. Man, there's something you can do to this car to get better gas mileage. And you look at it, and I can actually tell somewhat how a car has been driven just by looking at some of the things that it shows you. You know, look at the fuel trim and all that. And you can tell the car has been run pretty hard. And you can be, well, I I don't drive like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Numbers don't lie. Yeah. I don't know why those brake rotors are blue and warped, but yeah. <laughs> no brake pads so, left. So and somebody's been hitting them brakes pretty hard. So exactly. Not a scolding, just a little bit of advice. You can get significantly better mileage than you do, and not only are you getting better mileage while you're driving, but the car is going to learn the way that you drive. Sure. So then it's going to continue to get better mileage. In fact, it'll get better and better and better. Things are going to last longer. Your brakes are going to last longer. Your transmission's going to last longer. Well, absolutely. Tires. Tire, yeah. yeah All everything that's going to last, last a whole lot longer. Not only that, but uh, you start to cop a little calmed attitude, and you're even going to sleep better at night. How about that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just feel a whole lot better. You ain't ripping and rushing around, you know? That's it. But that's just one of those things. Of course, the other side of the coin is you can buy a car that does get better fuel mileage. And for the most part, what you're going to get when you buy that is you're going to get a smaller, lighter car sure because that's generally how they get the better mileage is by putting a smaller engine 
putting a lighter vehicle, and so you're moving less weight around, so naturally the mileage is going to go up. Right. As you've noticed, cars have come down in size tremendously Oh yeah, in the last, say, last 20 years. Oh, yeah, and even in the last few years, nowadays, a three-liter engine is considered a pretty big engine. Correct. Whereas 20 years ago, 5.7, 6.0, those size engines were pretty much the the norm. Right. And a lot of cars now have two liters and smaller. I've seen 1.5 liter engines. Oh, yeah. Small engines. Honda really likes the, the smaller engines and the smaller cars. They're running 1.5s, 1.8s. And they're making great power with them, actually. Yeah, they, they run pretty decent. Yeah, that's right. They can get pretty good power out of them because they're not moving a whole lot of weight around. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the way they, they actually do that. And we're going to go back to the phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. This is Herb. I'm just add, adding a little to your conversation. Yes, there. I went to Tennessee and bought a new 50-horse outboard, and I didn't want to stop on the way home because I didn't want somebody to relieve me of it, you know? Uh-huh, so, right. Yes, sir. It, wasn't, it was 1 o'clock, and we left right close to Nashville, and I smoked. My wife said, well, since we're not, we're driving 64, 65, she got mm-hmm. antsy over about after it got dark. She said, since you're not going to put me in no motel tonight, won't you speed this thing up a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> so it was a Dodge Hemi, and I uh, went from 14.9 to 11.8 when I went from 64 to oh, yeah. 70. It makes a major, major difference. And if you ever do the math, that's the same as paying about a dollar more a gallon. Yeah. You know, as far as dollars per mile. Yeah, I got it, home about 30 minutes quicker than I would Yeah, have. that's right. But she felt better about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just want All right, Herb. All right, thank you. Yeah, appreciate thank you. you calling, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. We got to take our quick little break, but we will be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way. Take- just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans. Vanity licenses that are too complex to read. Billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hatering Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We got Paul online. Good morning, Paul. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I have a couple quick questions. It's in regards to a 2006 GMC Sierra. Okay. It's got the 5.3 in it. Mm -hmm. First question is the oil pressure gauge. When I turn the key on, on, the engine isn't running. I just put the key on, on. The gauge goes right over to 80. Okay. With the with the engine running, it still stays at 80. Yes, right. When I shut it off, it goes back to zero. It goes back to zero, okay. Almost um, every time on that, Paul, that's going to be the all-pressure sender unit. They've had a lot, a lot of trouble with that. And unfortunately, the replacement parts are not a whole lot better than the originals. I've actually put brand new ones in, and they work for about two weeks and start doing the same thing again. They've just had a lot of trouble with that. 
on that particular model, I think it's not too difficult to change. It's you, back in the back. It's on the back driver's side of the engine, back behind uh-huh. the intake, and okay. you really have to have a feel. You can't really see it. You really got to have to have a feel for it and a special socket to get it out and get the new one put back in and get it plugged back together, unless you take the intake off. Yeah, and some of the later models, you have to take the intake off. Correct. They actually wrap that intake over the top of it, and you can't get to it. But, see, there's two problems that they have with all-pressure gauges on the Chevy trucks. One is that all-pressure center unit. Two is the gauge itself. But when the gauge itself goes bad, generally it's going to stay in the position whether the key is on or off. It just kind of flips over and stays over there all the time. It doesn't mm-hmm. return to zero or, you know, like this is doing. And that's almost always going to be that all-pressure sending unit. A lot of times you'll also have a little leak in the back about midway of your truck because when they go bad, they'll start leaking sometimes. Not always, but yeah. sometimes you'll also have an all-leak in conjunction with that problem. Oh, okay. But uh, I've tried the original replacements. I've even tried some aftermarket replacements, and I've just had real, real poor luck with that repair. You can change it. It works fine when you change it, but then – Within six months or so, it seems like we get them back a lot of times, and we have to warranty the the part. And of course, GM hands you another part, so they have a nice day, but they don't pay you to put it in. So yep, it's kind, yep. of, kind of an aggravating okay. thing. But that's almost always what that repair is. We actually have a special tool made to test those. And what you do is you take the oil filter off the engine. It screws on where the oil filter goes, and the filter screws on to it. And it's got a little test port. And I can screw mm-hmm. a gauge in there, and I can read the actual oil pressure to confirm it. And if the yeah. oil pressure is good, but it's reading bad, we know that's what it is. But with the part, when I buy the new part, mm-hmm. should I just just stick with like a brand name and hope for the best? I don't know. I have I generally buy them from Chevrolet, but yeah. I gotta say I'm not that pleased with the Chevrolet part. But again, I've had oh, people okay. bring me other brands, and they they weren't a bit better. In fact, I don't know if they were as good. So yeah. I would probably just go ahead and bite the bullet and buy a Chevrolet part. I mean, maybe they'll improve them at some point. And I got to say, I haven't used one probably in the last six months, so maybe they've gotten better since then. We went through a real rash of them for a while. Okay. My other question is, now, this same vehicle, Mm -hmm. it's got got a little over 104,000 miles on it. Should the O2 sensors be replaced just out of mileage? No, sir. No, sir. Those sensors are checked continuously while the engine is running. All four sensors check against each other. And they're looking for not only a proper wave pattern, but they're comparing one to the other, and they know what they're supposed to read. If a sensor starts to read bad, or even if it reads slow, it's going to flag it with a check engine light. So you're really not going to gain anything by replacing a good sensor. Many of them do last the life of the vehicle. So I would not go in and just change them just to change them. No, because the part you're going to get is probably not near as good as the one that's fixing to come out. Well, and there's always that, you know. know, Just it oh, cause okay. a problem, and you could actually create right. create a problem yourself. So I don't generally I consider that a repair and not a maintenance item. Oh, okay. You know there are things that are maintenance items, but that's not one I would prefer just to leave it until I have a problem with it. Oh, okay, great. All righty. Okay, that's that's all I needed to know. Thank okay, you very Paul. much. Thanks, for all right, man. sir. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. We're going back to the phone lines with Dave. Good morning, Dave. Hey, Lewis, good morning. Good morning. I just wanted to call and thank you and the crew on the wonderful job on the Ford Windstar. Oh, Oh, good, good. Worked out fine for you? I know the transmission got in late to y'all, but y'all got us back on the road. (laughs) Life life is normal once again. Oh, I do. Yeah, Josh was really hustling to get that in. I don't know if somebody dropped the ball at Ford or what, but they were supposed to have that unit to us on Monday. It didn't come on Monday, then it didn't come on Tuesday, and while I was getting real, real worried, it didn't come on Wednesday. 
and it finally made it in and were able to get it put in the car. He had the old one out already, so I was able to get it in there. But, yeah, we were starting to sweat it there. <laughs> well, so were we. But I tell you, y'all, y'all, you guys are great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Y- y'all did a wonderful job, and we will see you again. That sounds great. Thanks, Dave. Thank you much. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Danny on the line. Good morning, Danny. How you doing there? Doing, doing great, great, sir. Yeah, I got a little problem. I got a, a 06 Mercury marquee. I'm uh-huh. having dash panel problems. I'm losing the power. I don't lose power to nothing else. What's it doing, Danny? What are you losing? Uh, everything. I mean, I got headlights. All my lights and stuff are working on mm-hmm. the car, but I have nothing. I mean, they, you know, one time you may cut the car on and they're working. The out. dash lights aren't, aren't coming on? Nothing is working on the dash, right. No gauges, no, no gauges lights, no nothing? No gauges or anything, no. Hmm. How about the, uh, like the radio and the control? Uh, all that, yeah, all that's working fine. All that works. So just the instrument dash. cluster itself? Right. Yeah, that's not a common problem on that car, Danny. I would suspect probably the big connector on the back of the instrument panel could be not clicked in all the way. That would be the only thing simple. Okay. If not, it could be a bad solder joint in the dash cluster itself. That instrument cluster is basically just a little computer, and it's got a processor on it and all that kind of stuff. If you get a solder joint that's bad, like on the processor, it's going to shut the entire dash down. If you get one on one of the surf stepper motors, you know, just that one gauge will go down. So it just kind of depends. You say sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right. That's correct. Man, that sounds like a bad solder joint or a loose connection. And what you could do is it's not hard to pull the uh, instrument cluster out. You could take it out, take the big connector out, take a pencil eraser, and just kind of erase all the contacts on it to clean them. Make sure they're all plugged into, con- yeah. in, into the connector also. Right, none of them are bent Some or of them are back out. any of that kind of stuff. And okay. reconnect it and see if that helps. If not, what you'd probably have to do is take the cluster out and re-solder some of the joints on it, and you'll probably find your problem. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Nanny, thanks, man. Bye-bye. One more quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for $500 and give them a lousy job. Listen to me. And take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And a 225 in front of that will get you to us from anywhere inside the continental United States. And right now, we'd really love to hear from you. That is an absolute fact. We were talking to the last gentleman, and he was talking about how his dash would intermittently kind of just drop out. Uh-huh. And... 
Certainly connections are one of the biggest problems we see on modern cars. Most definitely. A lot of people, I guess most enthusiasts and home mechanics don't really click to that a lot. It's just not something they check that often. But in a professional work environment, professional shop, you will notice an inordinate amount of connectors that we change. Sure. Uh, They call them pigtails many times. And we change an awful lot of pigtails. We That's do. The little in, connector itself will burn up. Or, right. In fact, you can get them from the dealer ready to install. You know, you just splice them into the, the old harness. On a lot of cars, harness. you can. Now, there are some that are not available yet. Yeah. Chevrolet and Ford are pretty good about supplying pigtails. Chrysler, not so much. Toyota, not so much. I know we've got a book there at the shop that lists them by cavity, which means however many terminals are in that That's one right. cavity mm-hmm. is how they're listed in our book. And mm-hmm. the book's probably, what, quarter inch thick? Oh, yeah. It's a lot of them in there, for sure. There. And some of them are actually repeats. Uh, for instance, you may have an air conditioning cycle switch connected that's the same as an ABS sensor on sure. something else. It's just they use the same connector on it. But we end up changing a lot of those connectors because they get a bad contact. And when you only got 12 volts on, say, a analog circuit or 5 volts five on many same. digital circuits, right. and you lose just a half a volt, it's just not going to work anymore. Right. I it, mean, the tiniest amount of looseness or the tiniest amount of corrosion, it'll shut that thing down. And like we spoke of earlier, they're making cars lighter these days. So, in turn, everything is lighter, not every just the weight part. of the car, every single part. The, the wires are smaller, exactly. connectors are smaller, everything is much, much smaller. And many, many times what we see is folks will get a check engine light and they change a sensor and they plug it in. Well, it works for a week, two weeks, and then quits working again. Correct. And sometimes they'll go get another sensor, put it in, and it'll work for a week or two weeks. And what it is is actually the connector. And every time they plug and unplug it, it makes contact. Sure. But it was actually never the sensor in the first place. It was actually just the connector. It was bad. And unfortunately, sometimes they get a sensor that doesn't work, so now they really got a problem. Exactly. But it's just an amazing thing how many connectors we change. In fact, we change a lot of fuse panels. Well, I've noticed that, yeah. Fuse box itself, the connections will go bad in it. Changed two of them this week, one on a Cadillac and one a Saturn. Uh-huh. And the Saturn was actually overheating at idle. And you come in and the fans were all running, everything was good, couldn't figure it out. But if you let it sit there and run long enough, the fan would quit turning. And if you start checking, the relay was good, but the connection at the relay would open. Uh-huh. And when it did, you'd lose it the lose. fans. Right. And it actually had burned the connector, which you couldn't hardly see it, but it had done it. We had to end up changing the fuse box out, and we ended up fixing an overheating problem. So who, who would have thought who knows? a fuse yeah. box to fix an overheating problem? Who, who would have knew? Yeah, that's just kind of the things you go you come against these days. I'm going back to our phone line. Paul, good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning, Mr. Lewis. Yes, sir. Got it. 03 Saturn. Uh-huh. A couple of years ago, I had a, a fuel leak uh-huh. coming from the top of the tank and brought it to a, a dealer and they, they replaced the fuel pump. Okay. Uh, now I've got the same problem again. You know, less than two years, I mean, 20,000 miles, mm-hmm. and it's still seeping, not pouring out, but seeping mm-hmm. from the top of the tank. On an 03? 03, yeah. O three 3 should be setting a check engine light if you got any kind of leak in that tank. Well, uh, unless it's on the pressure side of the pump. Yes, it it's, may, it's, not, uh, may not be on the vacuum side, maybe on the pressure line. I would think probably one of the fuel lines themselves, Paul, may have a bad O-ring in it. And they may have misdiagnosed that as a fuel pump where it was actually a line leaking. And, of course, when they plugged it and unplugged it, they may have put a little silicone grease on it to make it go on easier, which sealed it temporarily until mm-hmm. enough gas got there and washed it out. Right. See, it kind of sounds like maybe they misdiagnosed that, that maybe it's one of the O-rings and one of the fuel lines. And okay. most of those can be repaired. GM does not sell that little end 
by itself. You have to buy the whole fuel line, which is a major deal. But we've actually got a machine that will put a new end on it in many cases. Ooh, okay. And so that's a lot less expensive than buying an entire new fuel line. But I would think it's probably – see, like Brian said, if it were leaking at the pump itself, it would set a check engine light because it would be drawing a vacuum in when the test – the mm. EVAP test went on, but if it's on the pressure side of the pump, it won't, but it will leak fuel. It's not leaking when it's running. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, it, no, it doesn't seem to be you know, on the pressure side. It seems like it's from the sloshing of the gasoline when it's on the road. Yeah, probably See? not, because if it was on, if it was doing that, then it would fail the EVAP test. Right. It, would, it would set a check uh-huh. engine light. Cause See, it draws a vacuum on that tank, uh-huh. and it has to hold a vacuum for two minutes. So more likely what's happening is that it's leaking out of one of the pressure lines, one of the fuel lines, and it's probably just puddling up and you just don't smell it because when you're driving, you're going down the road, you got a lot of wind and all under the car. Yeah. When you stop, then all of a sudden you're going to smell it because, you know, there it is. All right. Okay. All right. I appreciate the info. All right, Paul. All thanks, right, man. Bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. And we got Chris on the line. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Brian. Yes, good morning. I love your show. It's, you guys are probably one of the smartest guys I've heard on radio that talk cars. Well, so thank you. Thank you. I always listen to your podcast there on Stitcher, and I caught you guys here this morning. So well, good there. deal. Where are you calling from, Chris? Uh, Saginaw, Michigan. Oh, all right. You know, I actually called once over in the wintertime. We had, a, had an issue with a condensation in a, mm-hmm. a truck engine. Okay. What I ended up doing is I, I did end up buying a new truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a 2013 F-150. Okay. I was going through the manual, and they and they read like stereo instructions anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was saying about the maintenance interval for a transmission because I pulled camper uh-huh. probably about a thousand fifteen hundred miles a year. Okay. And it was saying that the, it's a hundred and fifty thousand mile interval on that, and that just don't seem right to me. No, particularly not if you're towing anything. Right. Chris, how heavy is your trailer? It's probably around nine thousand pounds. Yeah, towing that kind of weight, Chris, I would be servicing that thing about every thirty thousand miles. Just because if you got, do you have a temperature gauge on it? There is, yeah. It does have a temperature gauge, and it reads the same towing as it does empty just about. You okay. Know, every once in a while, it'll go up five degrees more than what it usually is, but it always reads 195, either empty or, okay. or loaded. So. Yeah, that's on your engine temperature. It, does it have a transmission temperature gauge? That is the engine, or that is the... Oh, tr- oh really? Okay, well, yeah, because that's normally around 175, but 195 is not a problem. Yeah. I would be servicing that about every 30,000 miles, just okay. because that's a lot of weight to be pulling, and that fluid's going to break down much, much faster. You might look in the manual and see if they don't have a recommendation when towing, because I think the 150,000 is their blue sky, not light towing duty, anything, yeah. light duty use type thing but that's probably a six-speed transmission in there right. the, the cost of rebuilding that is astronomical and the cost of servicing it is fairly small right so if okay. nothing else i would certainly be draining the fluid out every thirty thousand and changing the fluid and maybe if you want to push the filter to 60 change the filter every other time or something like that if you want to save a little money but you're right. probably not going to save a great deal. But i would certainly be servicing that a little more often now if i remember correctly there's no dipstick on that transmission no there's no dipstick on right. that it's got a certain procedure you have to go through when you change the fluid. It's got to be at a certain temperature with so much fluid in it, and it takes a flat rack to do it. Yeah, you got to be flat where everything's level when right. you're checking it and all that. But I don't know how much they save by leaving that dipstick out, but they sure made life they made difficult it, oh, for everybody else. Extremely <laughs> inconvenient. Right, exactly. So that, that may be something you may not want to tackle at home. Yeah, unless you got, unless you got the wherewithal to, to do it. Well, if I had a lift, I'd do it, but, you know, there's just no way I'm 
I do it in my garage. Yeah, the right. only other thing you could really do, Chris, is catch the fluid that comes out and measure the exact quantity that comes out and then go ahead and put the exact same amount back in. And that way you know you're going to be right where you were before. And then when you can get it to something that's flat and level where you can get it raised up, check it and verify it. And as long as you don't have a leak or anything, if you got a leak, then you kind of got to you know, back up and start over again. But that would be one way to do it is just capture what comes out and put the exact same amount in that comes out. Okay. And then also, like, with, with the engine, it's got six-cylinder um, uh, EcoBoost. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It's got that uh, turbos in it, and it's, it's got a oil life monitor on it. It's kind of very GMS. Yeah, you know, they, they're having a lot of trouble with those, Chris, as far as what I can see. In fact, I think they may even have a class action suit again, so I'm not sure about that for eating up turbos. And what they're saying, well, people are over-revving them. I said, well, okay, but that's just the way people drive. But, again, man, with a turbo, I'd be changing that all a little lot more often right. than what they're calling for. That turbo is spinning really, really fast, and it's really, really hot. And, right. you know, I would be using a fully synthetic oil, and I'd be changing it a lot more often than what and they... And it's really expensive to replace. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> if it swallows a turbo blade and it goes through the intake... Right. Then where are you at? You, into, you buy 12000 bucks for an engine and a turbo. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. It, probably yeah, that's a great vehicle as far as performance and all, but it's got some really expensive technology on it. I think I'd be taking a whole lot better care of it than what they recommend. Right. Oil changes like every 3000 then. And- Depending on the way you drive. I mean, if you're... A lot of my, like you get in that truck, you drive 50 miles at a time, and that's just normal way you drive. You could probably push it out a little more. You might go 5,000. But if you're like most folks and you drive 5, 10 miles at a time and then it sits, I'd be changing about every 3,000. Okay. Yeah. That's, and I, when I, I tow, I'd be changing about every 3,000. Yeah, I drive a half hour to work, but it's all city driving. You yeah. Know, I get, like, yeah. Stop and go. Right. Three, 4,000. Tops. I, yeah, I wouldn't go beyond that. Just too much technology on that vehicle that can go bad. All right. All right. I appreciate that. Hi, right, Chris. All right. Thanks sir. for calling, man. Yep. Bye-bye. 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 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to the phone lines with John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I have a 2000 Dodge with a Cummins Turbo. Uh-huh. I have problems with my, let's see, it's the throttle position sensor. Yeah, sir. That's fairly common okay. on those. Okay, so it's just normal for it to wear out? They do have a lot of trouble with both the sensor and the wiring harness going to the sensor. In fact, I believe there is a technical bulletin out. I'd have to look it up because I'm not that certain, but I believe there is a technical service bulletin out for a revised uh, harness for that or revised wiring to the sensor. Because I don't know if you price that sensor, but it's pretty obscenely expensive. Well, luckily the place I bought it has a lifetime warranty mm-hmm. on them, so, but the problem is I have to change it out every month. Yeah. Now, if you got a lifetime warranty on it, it's got to be an aftermarket one, and right. those are yep. not going to hold up at all. I mean, you're just wasting your money on that. That's yeah, why they keep going time. out. Yeah, you're going to have to probably bite the bullet, go back to Chrysler, and buy a real sensor because that aftermarket junk, It. I mean, even the Chrysler ones don't hold up great, but they'll last probably three or four years. Okay. Uh, but you, like I say, every month you'll be putting one on there. And the bad thing is that thing can actually end up burning up your transmission, so it's not something you want to just keep playing with. I would probably just go back and say, hey, tell you what, why don't you give my money back on this, and I'll quit bringing them back to you, and I'll just go get me a real sensor somewhere. But uh, check the harness, too. There's some problems with the harness. I'm not sure exactly what it was. I'd have to look it up in service data. But if you want to fire an email off to me, I'll see if I can look up the procedure about the harness. It's just something that sticks in my mind about something to do with a wiring on it. Okay. All All right. Thank you very much. Okay, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 a number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Bobby online. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, guys. Great show as usual. Thanks, sir. Thank you. 
I got a question. Lots of people, when I talk to them about keeping their car and repairing it, they said, no, I don't want to get caught on the road and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I said, well, having a new car is not going to stop you from having to go back for repairs more often. That's right. Um, especially with the, the later cars that are complicated. Lewis, have you, let's just say, a 2005 car versus a 2013 car, or even a brand new car that rolls off the line today. Mm-hmm. So what's the repairs you're going to need in your estimation on those two cars in the next five years? Bobby, it's kind of hard to predict. It depends a lot on what kind of car it is and what it happens to that car. The things that we're seeing on a lot of the newer cars, a lot of air conditioning problems on the newer stuff, and even Toyota is having a lot of air conditioning problems. I mean, the evaporator core is going out, which is a huge, huge repair. I had a Saturn Ion in the shop, I think Thursday, I think it was a 2009 model, and both evaporator cores and the compressor were leaking. And wow. that's about 4000 bucks. I mean, basically that totaled the car. And we see that kind of stuff a lot on all the cars across the board. And it's really unfair to compare to a brand-new car because if it's a new model— Nobody has any idea how that car is going to yeah, last. Yeah, there's no track history on right. it yet because we don't know what's going to go on. Even Things one are that's break. been out one or two years but still does not have quite the track record that you can go back to really do a fair comparison. But like you're saying, Bobby, you know, if you ever worked in a new car dealership as a service technician, which I did many years ago, you would never think new car equals no problems. I mean, they spend billions of dollars to make you think that and that's a nice thought that i'm gonna get a new car i'm not gonna have any trouble but if you ever go to a new car dealership walk around back in service department look and see how many of those brand new cars sitting there with hoods up and the motors out and transmissions out the fact is it's just a mechanical device and it has between twenty thousand and two hundred thousand parts you know depending on how you count parts you know, there's a radio one part or is it 200 parts that make it up so you know, with 200,000 parts, I mean, if you have one hundredth of one percent problem, you can have a lot of breakdowns. <laughs> and it's yeah. just the nature of mechanical devices. They all break. And a new car is really not a tremendous amount more dependable than an old car that's been taken care of. Now, an old car that has been neglected, yeah, you're going to have a lot of trouble and it's not going to be dependable. But this Thanksgiving, Elaine and I are going to hop in our 2005 model with well over 100,000 miles. We're going to probably go about 2,000 miles. And at Christmas, we're going to probably go about 3,000 miles. And I'm not going to think twice about it because the car has been taken care of. And it's just as dependable as a brand-new car would be. That's what I wanted to hear was because of that, because uh, they're doing it. The last experience I had with a new car, six months I'm back in the shop. It's leaking uh, antifreeze. And got to talk about tech. Got to get in on do it right from the factory. We get, we get about 10% of them coming back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get right. a lot of stuff like that. You know, and you're paying half the price of your house for this car. Well, that's right. right. New car doesn't mean no problems. I can tell you, I had a guy in there earlier, in fact, Friday, and he had to check engine light on. Couldn't find out he's got a stretch timing chain in a 2009 model car with fairly low miles on it. And he made the statement to you, he says, I knew about two weeks after I bought this car that I'd made a mistake. <laughs> you know, and I've seen them come right off the transport truck. They'll back off the transport truck and then not pull off. And that they're in the, they push them in the shop and pull transmissions out. Yeah, that's the transmission right. transmission's broke. That's right, yeah. If you ever work in a dealership as a oh, line you mechanic, see it. you'll see it. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, they don't want you talking about that too Oh, much. no. No, no. I guess if I worked for them, I wouldn't say too much about it either. But where I'm making my living, I ain't going to criticize. I ain't going to bite go. the head. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I think we dropped Bobby there, but Uh-oh. I hope Bobby, right. I hope that was a proper answer for you or everything you need to hear. That's one of those things that I guess the psychology of sales is that they want folks to think, hey, go ahead and buy a new car. You're not going to have any trouble. Sure. And I wish that was so. I would do too. 
I wish I could buy not. anything new and guarantee I'm not ever going to have any trouble. But as many, many people have had the experience, just buying something new doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. How many times you bought, say, a new computer or a new printer? Sure. And it just doesn't work or it doesn't work right. Doesn't work right. Yeah, or even get a new cell phone and it just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Just being new does not mean it's not going to have problems. A older car that's been well taken care of is far less likely to have problems. Sure. Hey, one more quick little break and right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, thanks for joining us. If you just came in, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. We still got a few minutes. If you got a question, you go ahead and give us a call. We'll get you an answer. That's right. And should you happen to miss this little last window to get a live answer, you can always go to the website and get your questions answered that way. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A G C O A U T O.com. Right. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill out the little form and send it in, and Lewis will get you an answer back within 24 hours. Right. Couldn't be easier. And if you fill that form out one time, when you go to send it, it's going to ask you, you like to save this information? If you hit yes, what it does is it saves your name and your email address and your car information so that when you come in next time, that little form will already be filled out. You just put in the mileage and the complaint, and you're good. That's great. And it can save multiple cars for you as well, so it just makes it even easier to get your questions answered. Yeah, it just couldn't really be a whole lot easier now. Right. Unless uh, somebody <laughs> came over there and did it for you. <laughs> I don't think that's likely to happen. So. Uh-uh. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines with Renee. Good morning, Renee. Good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Awesome, awesome. Look, I have a 2008 Hyundai Accent uh-huh. 1.6 liter. Okay, sir. The timing belt cost all kinds of crazy stuff on my intake valve, so I had all that stuff rebuilt. Okay. Uh, now, after we put everything back together, the dummy oil light comes on. After the car runs for about five, ten minutes, hmm. the little light starts flickering. And I was just wondering what would be the correct Renee, pressure. first thing you have to do is go in and measure that pressure and see if the pressure is actually dropping off or if it's maybe just a malfunction in the indicator. See, because but, the system you got now is an electronic. It has a sensor that sends to a, a meter. Right. And... The way you check it is you put a manual gauge on it that right. reads the pressure manually, and you can watch it. starts dropping off on the manual gauge. Then you've got an internal oiling issue. Right. That it's got to have a, a minimum of about 10 pounds per 1,000 RPM, and that's an absolute minimum. So at idle, you ought to have around 10 pounds of pressure or more. And the more, the better, up to a point. You don't want to have 60 pounds at an idle, obviously, but somewhere between 10 and 25 pounds at an idle. If it's dropping down to 3 or 4 pounds, 
I would suspect that what happened, see, when the valves hit the pistons, it bends the valves, but it also puts an awful lot of load and everything else. It could have possibly bent a rod in the engine, which has that bearing now running at an angle, so it could have wore the bearing out, and now you're losing all pressure. So real important to get that checked because you could be pretty near a catastrophic failure on it. Now, if you check it, it's got adequate pressure and the light's just coming on, it could be as simple as the oil pressure sending unit's going bad. That happens also. They just start reading wrong and give you a false signal, even though they shouldn't. And if you don't have the wherewithal to measure it and all that, if you just want to go ahead and get send a unit, they're fairly cheap and they're fairly easy to change, screw it in and see if the problem goes away, you could try that. That would be something you could just try without any test equipment. But right. it would really be kind of wise to test that oil pressure just to make sure you do have pressure because you'd hate to just burn the engine up even further and get stranded somewhere. But yeah, cause, yeah, correct. No, I'm not running the vehicle now because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Just sitting, but I was just wondering what accurate pressure should be for yeah, that sir. particular. Mm-hmm. At least so. 10 pounds per 1,000 RPM. Okay. All righty. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, Renee. Great thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. When an engine suffers a catastrophic failure like that, say the valves hit the pistons, or sometimes you get an intake gasket leaking, and what will happen is that it will draw coolant into the cylinder, and when the piston comes up, it does what they call hydrolock. And that right. is the coolant can't compress, so it hydrolocks the engine. And very often what it'll do is it'll bend a connecting rod. And when exactly. that happens, it may not stop running right then. In fact, you may not even know you got a problem immediately. But now the bearings are running at a real bad angle, so it wears them out. And the first real symptom is you're going to lose all pressure. Sure. So that's usually a bad, bad sign. Hey, going back to the phone lines, Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing great, sir. Fairly good, but a repeat caller. You gave me some real good advice last time. Mm-hmm. I have a 03 Jag. With the four liter in it, uh-huh. not, not supercharged, just a regular four liter. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. And I know it's got a, I believe it's a German transmission, a six speed. Okay, probably a ZF. Yeah, and it doesn't have the uh, dipstick like you were talking mm-hmm. about. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this car. It runs really, really well. It's been a dream, but I noticed one thing, and I think I know why it's happening, but I'd like to get your opinion. Okay. If I pull up to a stop sign or a stoplight and I wait, it drives fine. But if I pull up to like a corner in my neighborhood where there's no stop sign mm-hmm. and I slow down to, and almost stop or I stop very briefly, sometimes when I accelerate, it's almost like it's low on fluid and, and yes, the pump has to catch up. Right. I, I'm wondering, it, it, to me, what, I, what it feels like is if I don't stop completely long enough, it doesn't shift all the way down into first. Yes, sir, and that is a possibility. Also, there are some flash updates for, I know, some of the GM transmissions for that problem. You might just check service bulletins and see if there's a flash update available. I know a lot of transmissions do. It's a little modification to the computer that corrects that problem. And I'm sorry, we're just totally out of time. You can always send me an email. I'll get you a more complete answer. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes, give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.